Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. start us off today with my story okay and in fact my story is kind of just a review of a tv show that i recently watched called 28 days haunted oh i haven't heard of that one i hadn't heard about it either um i just ca- i stumbled across it on netflix nice. and started watching it and i was like huh okay so um basically i'll just tell you what it's about and uh what was learned like I said, it's called 28 Days Haunted, and Tony Spera, who is the son-in-law of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are, of course, the late and great paranormal investigation power couple, right. invited three teams of investigators to investigate three different haunted locations for 28 days. Apparently, it was a theory of Ed and Lorraine Warren when they were alive that you really need to stay in a property for 28 days with no distractions or technology or connection to the outside world to truly connect to the spiritual energy of a place and find out why the property is haunted. Mm, So try before you buy. I guess so. Yeah. So their son-in-law, Tony Spera, has kind of, you know, taken their brand, if you will, and Mm -hmm. moved it into where we are today and so he signed up with this netflix show called 28 days haunted so they're going to test ed and lorraine warren's theory about 28 days of investigating a property to see what can really happen in those 28 days that is a really cool idea yeah yeah it's i a love good, it it's a good concept so um so the show is a reality paranormal investigation type show much like your ghost adventures and all those other ones yeah um each team is dropped off at the property that they will be investigating under cover of blindfold and once there they remove their blindfolds and begin their investigation having no prior information about the location so then as they, the three teams at the three different locations investigate, the show cuts back and forth between them and the locations to see how their investigations are progressing. But they also cut to a studio location where a guy named Aaron Sagers, who is a paranormal expert and journalist, sits with Tony Spera, the son-in-law of Ed and Lorraine, um, as they watch the three stories unfold on their monitors. So they're seeing it in real time, I guess. Now, Carol, I'm highly skeptical about this show because, for one, most reality shows are at least loosely scripted. And for paranormal shows, the thumping noises and stuff moving on its own and EVPs are easy to fake for a TV crew. Yeah, you can't just film forever and ever waiting for something to happen. You'll be there forever and it'll just be quiet. And there's no entertainment value in that, right? Right. This is why this show should be taken as fun and just for the entertainment value. It wraps up just a little too perfectly at the end. (laughs) It feels very scripted and produced to me. It feels very packaged. Uh And I've read some of its criticisms online and a lot of people agree. They're like, this is obviously bullshit. It's too scripted. Oh, that's too bad. I wanted to know if there was some validity to it. Well, it it makes for an interesting, fun experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, there's some mediums that are part of the investigation team and they have information, but I don't know. I have to always take it with a very big grain of salt. Mm -hmm. And that's how I took this review. So we'll just put that out there. Okay. So that being said, it was fun and entertaining. Um, so we'll go with that. Um, the first location they go to is maybe one you've heard of the Lumber Baron Inn in Denver, Colorado. I have not heard of that. You haven't heard of that one. This one is kind of interesting. The team dropped there consisted of Amy Parks, who is a sensitive energy reader, a guy named Shane Pittman, who is a paranormal investigator and a sensitive, and his partner, Ray Causey, another paranormal investigator. When the team enters the Lumbar Baron Inn, they start commenting on the heaviness of the energy in the place. And after going upstairs to check out the bedrooms, Amy starts picking up on somebody dying in the bedroom that the team is standing in, and she gets a vision of a woman with blood dripping down her face. 
Shane and Ray decide to sit down in one of the bedrooms and use an investigation tool called the Estes Method, in which one of them puts on a blindfold, headphones, and then plugs the headphones into a spirit box, which essentially plays radio frequencies at a high rate so that the spirits can use those frequencies to communicate to the sitter. Whoever is listening to this device can hear blips of what the spirits are trying to say. Blip, 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 blip. During this session, Shane hears voices from the spirit box that the spirits there need help. One voice says, I killed them. Oh my gosh. And he gets the name Kara. And he finally is told to get out and watch me do it again. <laughs> you like my spooky Yeah, he sounds like voice. Mr. T. We talk about fool. Boy, yeah. that's, that's, that I'm getting him mixed up with somebody else. Yeah. Okay. So finally, Shane stops the session because he doesn't feel good. He said at first he was connecting to two women that needed help, but then something much more evil took over. Next, the team moved to a room called the Valentine's Suite, where sensitive Amy tried the Estes method. Amy hears the words, quick move. He sees, fuck you. Go look. <laughs> Two, we are, get out. And then Amy takes off the blindfold because she says that she saw eyes opening. I guess oh in her gosh. mind's eye or something. So they all they all say the same words. Have you noticed that the spirits always choose get out as get like out. one of ever get since out. Amityville Horror. It's <laughs> yeah. like every spirit. Oh, that was good. That, that was effective. That and was scary. Very, we're going to say that, too, <laughs> yeah. when we get a chance yeah. to use the spirit. You know, box. you're a really scary ghost. Yes. Get out. Get out. As the investigation progresses, Amy is able to pick up on the name of the second woman, Marianne. Eventually, the team goes into the basement of the inn where they find a creepy tunnel that goes even further under the ground and includes a manhole that opens up onto the street. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. Without yes, ghosts, that is weird. It is a weird little thing. This, I mean, maybe they brought in lumber that way or oh, something. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Or yeah, they, it was a hotel or something. They right? used it for some kind of something. Um, they probably said in the show, but I was only really half watching. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was a coal shaft. I don't know. You were doing automatic writing. As pretty you're much. Half the, half I was like, what? Yeah. Please write so. the script for me. <laughs> so they all crawl into the tunnel to look around and do not like the oppressive energy in the tunnel. So they all bail out of there. A little while later in the show, Shane begins to start having dreams about a woman lying contorted under a bed and grabbing for him. During a meditation session in the Valentine's suite, he sees the woman physically grab his leg from under the bed. He gets totally yeah. freaked out by this. The team decides that the two women that they are picking up on, Kara and Marianne, were murdered somewhere in the inn and the killer's energy was also still in the home blocking them from escape. Oh my gosh, so they're being tormented in the in the hereafter. In the afterlife, they're stuck in this inn and that the killer's energy is still there is too. with them. Yeah. That is horrible. Which is scary. I know, I agree. It's really scary. Yeah. So Shane and Ray decide to pressure Amy to try mirror scrying to see what she can see. But Amy absolutely refuses as she feels it is not a safe practice for her to do. I think she's had some bad experiences with the paranormal and so she was not comfortable doing that. the mirror scrying and for those of you that don't know what mirror scrying is essentially all it is is you look into a mirror you soften your gaze and you wait to see things uh, appear in the mirror and you it's say it's like a visual psychic ability bloody mary bloody mary <laughs> three no, times don't and do turn that. around it's a trap don't do it okay so after some hemming and hawing amy agrees to candle scrying instead during, and that's essentially the same thing, but you're looking at a flame instead of the mirror. So during her candle scrying session, someone reaches out and grabs her and she screams for Shane and Ray. They come in and she explains what happened to her. That's when Shane decides or realizes, I guess, that it's a dick move to make Amy do all this spiritually vulnerable stuff. Yeah, Shane. Yeah, Shane. And that he needed to step up and try as well. So the team just happens to have a sensory deprivation tank with them, oh, which is kind of crazy. That's handy. Those yeah. things are hard to come by. Yeah. They have like a makeshift one in the backyard. Wow. So um, it's in the backyard. They fill it up with water and salt. And then Shane goes inside to see what he can see in meditation. So the, the sensory deprivation tank essentially is just salt water. And you're in a dark tank and you just float there. 
similar to our experience that we had, right? We went to this place in Portland called Float On. Yeah. And Holly and I both in separate rooms did a deprivation floating in saltwater. And what was your experience like? I wanted it to be more interesting, but I kind of think I just sort of fell asleep. (laughs) And I thought I was kind of bored. And I mean, you're in there for like 90 minutes and I could have been out in 20, I think. I was like, "Eh, that's not doing anything for me. What did you find? I was cold. It's supposed to to be um, your body temperature so that you're nice and comfortable and you don't like you're not aware of the water. You kind of just become one with it. And with the salt, you're so buoyant. You don't think about drowning or anything. Yeah. But I think I told you, I, I think I've had past life experiences with drowning. And yeah. so I, I had a really hard time relaxing oh, for yeah. a long time. And then at the very end, like I would say probably the last maybe 10 minutes of the 90 minutes. Yeah. I started to finally start seeing something it, it felt like I was in the middle of the ocean and oh, stuff like that so cool. but yeah I um mixed feelings on it as well yeah it's not I, for everybody I don't think I got too heavy into the meditation I think my my mind was too monkey that yeah. day and mm-hmm. I just couldn't relax to that level and it was such you're, you're in a different environment that you're not used to yeah so it is hard to relax and kind of let your mind go but I will tell you something fun huh those showers that have the strobe lights. Yeah. I went back and I bought one for my own shower. You did. And I got to tell you, I have a party every morning yeah. when it's dark out. Nice. And I can dance uh-huh. in my shower with the strobe lights. Do you have some disco music playing? No, I really need to, do that. need to do that. But it just, it just yeah. my happy place in yeah. my head. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's a great way to wake up in the morning. Yeah, that is cool. That's very cool. Okay. Anyway, we, so, di- we digress. But back, yes, back, back to, to our, the deprivation. Back tank. to our story. Um, so they filled up the tank with water and salt and Shane goes inside to see what he can see in his meditation. He is able to see that whoever killed the two girls, Kara and Marianne, hated women and had killed many others. Hmm. That is when the group realizes that they are dealing with a serial killer. They decide to come together and hold a seance in which Shane is able to get information from the murdered girls. They tell the group to look down for more answers. So the group heads back down to the creepy tunnel where they find a newspaper article in the wall of the tunnel of another girl who was murdered and the case was unsolved. They know, and this is also happening about the same time frame in Denver. Okay. I think it's in the 1970, I think is when it happened. Um, They know that the article has been put there by the serial killer and that he had killed the girl in the article as well. This seems a little too perfect in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, it just seems so... (laughs) That's yeah. why I say take this show more for entertainment purposes than yeah. a real, because I mean, it's just a little too tied up with a nice neat bow at the top. I'm just like, yeah, come on. That wouldn't actually happen. Well, in a seance, you are supposed to get the answers. Well, get, they, get, you they know, did get more information. That's good. And so. and what's interesting about it, too, is that Ed and Lorraine Warren were against seances because they had really bad experiences with them getting you know because she's a medium she would take on too much of the energy yeah and they would find that it actually made the haunting worse sometimes and so they started to realize they needed like a priest present when they would do the seances ouija boards are kind of like the same thing when you're talking directly to the dead like that you have to do things to really protect yourself i think and that's why i've never really ever wanted to be a medium i think it's really scary it would be could be scary for sure Mm -hmm. absolutely so anyway the truth is that there were two girls murdered at the lumber baron inn in the 1970s one was found raped and strangled to death and left in a tangled heap under her bed while her friend was found shot to death and lying on top of the bed it was believed that the second friend walked in on the murder of the first friend and the killer shot her before she could escape the name of the girls were Kara lee nosh and marianne weaver so they got the right names. Their murders were never solved. The Lumber Baron Inn has had a haunted history ever since with creepy apparitions of women who are disfigured and or in distress floating around its halls. The paranormal team told the murdered girls to go on and that they would carry their story forward so the girls no longer had to. So essentially they try to do kind of a release for the girls to move on into the next life yeah. and that they didn't need to worry and stay there anymore. I'm not sure if it cleared or not, but that's what their intent yeah, was. Yeah, it would be interesting to, to find out how the energy in that place feels now. 
Yeah, I know. And if they've had any other hauntings, because maybe the serial killer energy is still there. Mm -hmm. So I think also they were thinking that creepy tunnel that maybe he lived down there or he worked at the inn and that's where he would store trophies and stuff, Ooh. perhaps because he was a serial killer. That is so creepy. And Kara had been living there. She was only, I think, 18 or 19 years old. She had been living there. It, was, it turned into a bunch of apartments. And so then her friend Marianne was also about the same age. He'd come over to see her, and that's when they were murdered. And no um, motivation other than he just likes to kill women. He doesn't like women, right? Right. That was the only thing they were able to get. The second location was the Madison Dry Goods Country Store in Madison, North Carolina, where Jeremy Leonard, or Leonard, I couldn't quite tell from the show, but he is a demonologist and Brandy Marie or Miller. Again, I wasn't quite sure, but she's a psychic medium and they were the team investigating that place. So Jeremy and Brandy, Jeremy, mm -hmm. the demonolo demonologist and Brandy, the psychic medium. And do they choose the investigators based on the type of haunting they think they're going to encounter? I don't know why, it's just how random. they chose who for what. Okay. I don't know. So before they remove their blindfolds, they are standing out in front of the store and Brandy sees that there is a woman with two little kids standing in front of them. But when Brandy and Jeremy take off their blindfolds, Brandy was immediately like, oh my God, like she recognized where they were. So the rest of her findings make me wonder if she just knows the story behind the property or if she was legitimately getting psychic information. I don't know. Like she took off her blindfold. She saw where they were and she was even like, oh, oh my God. Like it just made me go. Maybe it's she already too well knows known. this. It's yeah. too well known. It might yeah. be. Yeah. When Brandy and Jeremy go inside the store, there is this photo of a family from the 1920s. And Brandy says she recognizes the woman and the two kids in the photo as being the spirits that she saw when they first arrived. And when she saw the spirit, she had her blindfold on, right? right. And they didn't that's, tell her where she was? That's correct. So it could still be legit then. Yeah, that part. But the rest of it, I'm like, well. Yeah. The Madison Dry Goods Country Store had been a funeral home back at the turn of the century where bodies were embalmed. It had also been the place where the famous Lawson family had been embalmed and prepped for their final resting place after the family patriarch, Charlie Lawson, had murdered his wife and six of his seven kids and then marched into the woods and turned his 12-gauge shotgun on himself. The oldest boy was not home at the time of the murders, which happened on Christmas Day in 1929, so there was one survivor. The speculation, of course, is that the oldest daughter was pregnant and that Dad Charlie was the father of her baby. Instead of facing the shame of that coming out into the public eye, he murdered the entire family. During their investigation, Brandy and Jeremy were usually at odds with one another. Now, these two were the odd couple of the whole show. <laughs> they really were interestingly paired and um, kind of got like she on each he, other's nerves. He really got on her nerves and he for her, you know, oh, defense it's a soulmate connection. Then, <laughs> Yeah. For her defense, he was rather absurd. I no. think he was kind of I don't know. You'd have to watch it and tell me what you think. But okay. Brandy would try to connect and communicate with the spirits via meditation, while Jeremy tried to provoke them by yelling at them and screaming scriptures at them from the Bible. Finally, it was starting to become evident that Jeremy himself was being taken over by an evil entity. He started suffering headaches and sleeping all the time and just not acting like himself. Brandy feared that the evil entity that drove Charlie Lawson to rape his daughter and then subsequently murder his family had driven him to do so by the same evil force that was now influencing Jeremy. In her meditation and connection to the spirit of Charlie, she used a light box that when she would ask a question, the spirits would be able to turn the lights off or on to answer her questions. When she asked Charlie if an evil entity had attached itself to him and made him do those things, he was able to answer yes by turning the light on or whatever. Mm -hmm. She spoke with the show producers about her fears of staying with Jeremy in the haunted location. They put her in touch with a local expert on the Lawson family murders who told her that before the murders occurred that Charlie had been experiencing bad headaches and writing down strange lines similar to what Jeremy had been writing down. Something like there are troubles or something <clears throat> in his suicide note. He just wrote like there are troubles. And that's what Jeremy had been writing. Ooh. 
a little too tied up again, if you ask So me. crazy. Mm. So Brandy confronts Jeremy about her concerns. Upon hearing this, Jeremy decides to fight back and reject the evil entity taking him over. He puts on a special spirit helmet that uses magnets to open up your mind psychically. Ooh, magnets. Yeah. When he puts on the helmet, he said he was able to see Charlie and the demon that had taken him over and was after Jeremy himself. He is so freaked out that his heart starts pounding and he turns cold as ice, prompting the show producers to rush him to the emergency room for doctors to review his health. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's fake because you know how much emergency room visits cost. Holy cow. Maybe they had a little money left in the production budget. I don't know. (laughs) Let's take him to the hospital. Yeah, this is going to be great. We know a star when we see one, Jeremy. You don't care if we put a little shock value on your heart. (laughs) That's right. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. The doctors can find no reason for the heart palpitations and release him from the hospital where he returns to the store to finish off the investigation with Brandy. Eventually, he uses the Lord's Prayer to banish the demon away from him and invoke it back to hell. Both Brandy and Jeremy want to rid the store of the demon so that it could allow the spirits of the family to fully cross over into the light. They believe that in the end, this is what they accomplished. You know, they're so successful at accomplishing their uh, their mission every time they go. So easy. Just yeah. That, that quick. I yeah. Know. Are they selling their blessing services too they outside of Netflix? They should start doing that. I know. Because they're pretty. Well, that's what I was thinking is that this yeah. is probably going to be a, a great promotional boost for their own independent careers. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I know that story, and there's always a speculation that the daughter was killed. And if you look at the photo, yeah. It's a very odd photo because. You can just see the looks in their faces. The father isn't really looking at the camera. He's kind of looking away. The daughter looks kind of pissed. Yeah, they don't um, look like a happy family for sure. Mom also looks kind of haunted. They got all those kids. And look at the spooky shadows behind them. Yeah. Like you can see a hat on somebody, but it's not. Right. Nobody in that picture is wearing a hat. And then the son at the end of the first row, Ooh, he has no scary. shadow. <gasps> Vampire. Something. Yeah, but you can tell. Yeah, it's this just, is weird. They just look creepy and yeah, unhappy. Yeah, they really do. Almost like it's a stage photo. Yeah, like they're trying to look like they're pissed off. Like It's like uh, somebody made a TV show and this is the photo they made for some Dark Family Secret. It looks <laughs> like Dark Family Secret written all yeah, over this photo. It looks, it looks like Adam's family, frankly, yeah. without the yeah. thing. No, yeah. the thing is on the end there. Yeah. That does look like the thing. <laughs> the little boy with the haircut. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's very sad. The one boy who did escape, the older son here, mm-hmm. um, he did escape, or he wasn't there, so escape is a loose term, but yeah. he, he did not die that day. Uh, he got married, and he had some kids, and then he was killed in a motorcycle accident, and he wasn't very old when he died. Um, so they were kind of a soul family then. Maybe. that You know, a lot of times they make agreements they're yeah. going about at the same time to the yeah. other side yeah and he but he did live i think into his late 20s seems That's like. still really young still very young yeah yeah for sure so the third location was captain grant's inn in preston connecticut which i actually discussed on the haunted airbnb episodes that we did the three investigators that were dropped off were sean austin a psychic medium Nick Simons, a paranormal investigator and tech guy and skeptic, and Aaron Thompson, a paranormal investigator slash tech guy. Um, The property had been a paranormal hotspot where hundreds of ghosts had been seen and guests had witnessed things move on their own. Hundreds of ghosts? Yeah, lots of ghosts. The history of Captain Grant's Inn includes being used to house soldiers during the Revolutionary War and as a safe haven for runaway slaves during the Civil War. Oh, I remember. Okay. Yeah. Just behind the house is a 300-year-old cemetery where the bodies of many who had resided at the home lay at rest. Sean the Psychic immediately picks up on the intense energy of the building as the three men walk around and check it out. During their first night, he starts hearing spirit voices telling him, body and grave. And get out. And I'll rip your heart out. That's a new one. Yeah. That is a new one. I'll rip your heart out, body, grave, and Adelaide. So the, it's a rhyming ghost. I, I guess it is. Yes. Wow. I'm impressed. Yeah. And he did all this without a spirit box. He's just that good of a psychic medium. So, mm-hmm. but they did bring a spirit box with an amplifier with them to see if that would help them get more information. 
It's a crazy thing that they spin like a fan, but these two metal balls bounce together and create electricity, like something you would see in Frankenstein's lab. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really cool looking. I'm like, how do I get one of those? That's yeah. awesome. So cranking this thing was supposed to help the ghosts build their energy to communicate better. Mm -hmm. The team did hear more voices like, he's psychic and no escape. Gulp. You know what they, you know what? <laughs> you know what they need to have. What? A real they, actual haunting? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they need to have a ghost therapy. Oh, yeah. Like somebody who's actually a therapist talk to the ghost about all their issues. Well, isn't that essentially a psychic medium is what they help move them to the next yeah. plane or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that is what it is. Let but. go. You don't have to be here anymore. Sean could tell that there were many souls at the location that needed help. Using their spirit box, they were able to hear that Adelaide was Captain Grant's wife. Sean claims after a night of sleep that Adelaide came to him in a dream and that she was sad and wandering in the halls of the home. She then pointed out the window. Well, she just happened to point towards the cemetery that the men didn't even know was there. They wandered back to it and found her gravestone in which it indicated she was indeed the wife of Captain Grant. Sean realized that Adelaide was sad because she wants to cross over to be with Captain Grant and the afterlife, but he felt there was a dark force preventing her from moving on. A few nights later, Sean had another dream of Adelaide. This time, she pointed to the backyard. They used their thermal imaging camera to scan the backyard and pick up on hot spots of possible paranormal activity. They were able to use it to find possible spots where a spirit might be. They found a spot on the ground that was quote-unquote hot. Nick decided to return to the spot with a metal detector. He was able to dig up what appears to be a five-pointed copper star that was buried in the ground. It looked kind of like a sheriff's star to mm -hmm. me, but the team took it to be a pentagram and that it was related to the dark arts. That made the team believe that all of these spirits that were stuck on the property were there because of some kind of dark curse and they could not move on. It was revealed through the show's narration that a man named Jonathan Brewster, who was a Mayflower settler, had been granted 450 acres of land by the Mohican chief so that he would set up a trading post between the settlers and the Native Americans. Brewster was into the occult, though, and he practiced alchemy, and he tried to make medicines that could cure illnesses. It is believed that Brewster did a lot of experiments on that same piece of property where Captain Grants is located. They believe he may have drummed up some evil energy during his lifetime that still haunts the land and keeps the spirits there from moving on. Sean believes that there was a portal opened up on the property that is clogged up by some kind of evil force. So he devised a plan to bless all of the mirrors in the hotel so the spirits could use them as pathways out of the building and over to the other side. Cool. He felt like he could keep the dark entity at bay so that the good spirits could move on. So, so they go ahead and they enact this, this plan. Mm -hmm. The team tells the spirits to move on as Sean starts reciting the Lord's prayers over and over again. As he continues to recite the prayer, the activity in the house ramps up. Chairs start falling down attic stairs, which is interesting that they had a camera on that. Loud thumping <laughs> noises are heard. Doors are slamming shut on their own. Debris gets flung down more stairs. Glass breaks, lights go off. Wow, that's mayhem, some chaos, crazy. Serious poltergeist activity. For sure. Sean and the team continue to walk around the house and douse the mirrors with holy water and blessings as they record their findings. When they are finished, they use their spirit box to hear that Adelaide says, I'm home. I just felt like it was so perfect how everyone got all the right names yeah. and all the right information and knew all these things. And I'm kind of like, eh, did the producers please decide and tell you what's going on? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. It's so hard to be, you know, gullible yeah. or like not mm, skeptical yeah. about those types of things. But yeah, exactly. Well, great stories. Thank and you. Yeah, and thank I'm you. sure it really like makes you inspired to go visit these places as yeah. well. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's all fun. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. What do you got for us today? Well, I am doing Christmas mysteries. Ooh, likey like. Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Um, I thought it would just be really fun to see if there were any mysterious events that actually happened around the world on 
or during the Christmas holiday on awesome. Christmas or the Christmas holiday. So Are you going to go into the Grinch? Because that happened around Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, my stories are true. Holly. Oh, okay. yeah. No. Okay. The Grinch isn't true. That's weird. No. Okay. Everybody has a Grinch yeah. that they know for Christmas. So it I is true. Probably the Grinch in my family. <laughs> no. My first story was reported by the residents of Warminster in the UK back on Christmas morning in 1964. Hmm. Instead of sleigh bells ringing and children singing, the residents were all woken up by a series of repeated booms. Thank you. One witness said there was a strange humming noise on her roof and something falling from the sky. Hmm. Well, that would be presents trying to make their way down her chimney or perhaps the reindeer were laying, you know, laying Hmm. some scat on her roof. (laughs) A little sky scat. It's like, well, you know, I thought about that as a kid. Like, what are reindeer going to do? They've got a schedule to to keep. They have to hold it. They can't. Not all night long. Didn't you know that all the reindeer wear diapers? (laughs) That would be a new one. (laughs) I did not know that. Reindeer diapers. So the belief in Santa, though, was not prevalent in the adult population of Warminster. And later it was found that there were many neighbors all reporting the same noise, including a barrack of about 50 soldiers who also felt their roof was going to cave in by the noises and thumping. There was no storms outside, so it wasn't hailing or raining. Marjorie Bly, who was also a resident, was walking to the local church for Christmas service when a strong vibration in the air caused her to lose her balance and fall to the ground. But the kicker? Hmm. She fell and couldn't get up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I I had to do that. (laughs) Those of you who know, know. Um, You know, that was a big thing back in the day. Yeah. Um, so life alert she needs, right? Life alert. Marjorie Bly, who was, you know, on the ground, it it was, she said it was as if the vibration had weight and it pinned her so she couldn't get up. Oh, weird. Her exact words were, it was as if the sound had invisible fingers. You see, Marjorie, this happened to Martin Luther and it was the rod of God who struck him down, AKA lightning, but he did amazing things after his event. Terrible for the Catholic Church, but he went on to do great things. <laughs> he was the founder of the Lutheran Church. Oh, he was? Yeah. He, he like, got struck down by lightning, and he was like, ah, Lutherans, Lutherans. Lutherans, I need to, I get it. I need okay. to make a reformation. <laughs> so this just didn't stop, though, all of this phenomenon after the celebration of Christmas was over. No, the whole town experienced strange things over the next year. There was an unidentified flying object scene, and residents started to take photographs of these phenomenons of flying objects in the air. Mm. Eventually, the activity died down once the story started circulating publicly, and later it was nicknamed The Thing. Hmm. Isn't that cool? That's thing. That's cool. Yeah. UFO enthusiasts later reflected that perhaps there was an alien battle going on in the sky. What year was this again? And that they were using their sonic weapons. Um, 1960... 1964. Thank you. Um, So UFO enthusiasts later reflected that perhaps there was an alien battle going on in the sky and that they were using sonic weapons, which resulted in these strange booms and heavy vibrations. And others think it was a battle between good and evil since it started on Christmas. Now, MysteriousUniverse.com, who always has the best stories. Yeah, they um, do. They published an article in February of last year of a family who received a terrifying Christmas gift. And no, it wasn't fruitcake. The Merritt family in Brandon, Mississippi, received an old-fashioned doll in a baby carriage from a friend of a friend who thought they might like it as a gift to pass down to their granddaughter. So on Christmas Day, the doll and carriage was unwrapped, and Whitney's granddaughter and other kids happily spent the day playing with their toys. And like every normal Christmas with their kids... The family enjoyed a loud but pleasant day. But soon they started to hear what sounded like knocking sounds on the walls and the roof of their home. Thinking there was someone outside, Whitney went to the front door, but there was nobody there. As the evening progressed, they kept hearing more knocks. The husband, Michael, thinking there might be maybe someone or something in their attic, decided to explore it with his shotgun in hand. Was it the aliens having another fight in the sky? It's Christmas. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm thinking. Was it good versus evil? That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking, Holly. <laughs> yeah. Well, the you know, so he goes up there, but there was nobody there. And the noises continued, though, throughout the whole week. 
Then the following week after New Year's, the family was woken up by what sounded like dishes breaking. In the morning, they found two coffee mugs that were left out on the corner broken into pieces on the kitchen floor. Hmm. The same thing happened the next night. And then the following night, it sounded like dishes were being tossed into the sink. Hmm. But when they turned the light on in the kitchen, it was perfectly undisturbed, just as they had left it before they went to bed. There were no dishes in the sink. Hmm. Weird. The activity then seemed to shift to their daughter's bedroom. Oh, okay. Where a dream catcher and mm-hmm. bedside lamp was knocked to the floor. Hmm. But then in their son's room, a toy car was turning on and playing music, even though they had switched it off. Yeah. So this next part really freaks me out. One morning, the wife, Whitney, went to wake up her husband for work and she was sweeping the floor. Seeing her husband walking into the kitchen without answering her repeated questions, because, you know, I guess like that happens where you're talking to somebody and they're just ignoring you. Yeah. She goes after him and says, hey, she sets the broom down. She goes into the kitchen and says, what gives? You know, hey. Yeah. Why are you ignoring me? Yeah. But there was nobody in the kitchen. There was nobody there. Creepy. And when she went to their bedroom, she saw her husband was still sound asleep. Ew. Is that nuts? Yeah. That is so scary. It is creepy. That's happened to me before. Right. What? Remember when I told you Laurel and I were at the ho- <gasps> That's hotel? That's right. And I thought That's she was right. getting up to go to the bathroom because I yes. kept seeing her standing there, but that wasn't her. She was in bed. That's yeah. so crazy. Yeah. She swears to this day that she saw a person that walked past the door into the kitchen. So the next day, while Whitney was out doing errands, her husband calls and asks her if one of their children was left at the house. He tells her that he saw the front door was left open, and then their son's door to his bedroom kept opening and closing, and he saw that his son's bedroom light was turned on. Mm. When he went into the room, the Xbox game was also on, and a bottle of water was dripping onto the floor, but of course there was no sign of any of their kids in the house, as they were supposed to be watched by their grandmother. And she confirmed they were. The knocking kept happening, though, and they Mm. started to realize it all happened at Christmas when they received the doll carriage. Mm. So, yes, so they stored it in their garage Mm. and decided to post it for sale on Facebook. In their garage. Trying to monetize their grief, asking for $65, stating it was haunted. So the article didn't mention anything about selling the doll with the carriage, but Uh I assume that was part of the deal. Like who would want just the carriage? Um, Or maybe they maybe they determined it was just the carriage that was haunted and not the doll. Um, Whitney later asked her mother if she knew the history of the doll carriage. And Mm. her mother said, no, nothing specific tied to the doll or the carriage. But the friend who gave it to her mother had just lost her husband in a motorcycle accident. So they're thinking maybe that man was the ghost that Whitney saw walk into her kitchen. And for some reason, he's attached to that object or his spirit. Yeah. But we'll never know. It's a Christmas mystery. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. So the next story took place Christmas Eve in 1978, right from our state, Holly. (gasps) Oregon? Yep. Klamath Falls, Oregon. Whoa. What was the date again? 1978. Okay. So a lot of these are older, but they're good. Yeah. So this person, Mel, who tells their story to CafeMom.com, states that about 3 a.m. she was woken up by what sounded like a church choir singing. (laughs) Okay. She went outside to see if she could pinpoint where it was coming from since their house was miles away from any church. Mm -hmm. However, she could not hear it as clearly outside. So she went back in, checked her television and radio just to make sure everything was turned off. Yeah. Which it was. Mm-hmm. She could hear the voices, though, in her house. It was loud. And she Does couldn't... It, it make me yeah. think I'm going nuts. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> but she couldn't make out the words or recognize the tune. Mel states the choir was made up of male, female, and children voices singing in an unknown language. Huh. All intertwined in harmonies that only can be described as angelic. Wow. Angelic voices. So she tuned it into heaven. She did. <laughs> The singing kept going on about 10 minutes in a joyful exaltation of a cappella, which filled her with such awe, saying the experience would touch her for an eternity. I think that would be so cool. That's cool. To hear that? Yeah. 
Um, it was probably a group of carolers yeah. that were really talented and they were snuck in her backyard and she only checked the front yard. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm just trying to think like what, how that could happen. Maybe she had a divine moment. Maybe I think she that's really amazing. was able to connect to the higher realm. Yeah. That's very cool. I, I guess they love to sing on Christmas Christmas Eve. I guess. So Was cool. she in a bad spot in that in her life? Was like something bad happening? I have no idea. I think it's oh. really a, an, an amazing story. That is cool. This next one is just really freaky weird. And it happened quite a long while ago, also on Christmas Eve in the year of 1889. Okay. Two boys went missing in the most odd set of synchronicities. Mm. I don't think we've covered this before in our mm -hmm. stories, but if we did, it'll just be fun to revisit it. Okay. Oliver Lark was from South Bend, Indiana, and he was 11 years old. Okay. On Christmas Eve, he was sent out to get some water from the family's well, and his parents heard his voice shouting for help. The sound seemed to be coming from above their heads, though. Help! Help! They have got me, he cried. His father and family went out with a lamp to try and find the boy, fearing he might have fallen into the well. But his footsteps in the snow stopped only 75 feet from the home, which was about halfway to the well. Okay. There were no other tracks around the area, and his just abruptly ended. The mm. boy was never seen again. UFO. They have, yes, they have no clue what happened to him. Wow, that's crazy. The craziest thing, though, is 20 years later, on Christmas Eve... In Wales, another Oliver. Hmm. Oliver Thomas, who was also 11 years old, went missing. This kid, like the first Oliver, was sent out by his parents to get water from a well. And just a short while later, they heard him crying out in terror. Again, Oliver's footprints just stopped in the snow, showing that he never made it to the well. Just like the first story, huh. he was gone disappeared never to be seen again so maybe this is part of his life cycle like he's reliving the same thing in each lifetime because there's yeah he's got to figure out how not to get abducted by the aliens so that he can actually <laughs> finish the life that he's chosen or the ufos came back a little bit too early and grabbed the wrong boy and they're like oh yeah. wrong oliver that was not the oliver yeah we let's to. go back and get the right oliver you know, we know Oliver's later. like water, so we'll yeah. just wait for him to come back to the well. <laughs> That's just the most odd set of circumstances. So see, things can line up like that, and it is a true story. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Next Christmas story is about a mysterious visitor claiming to be a true experience. Her story was posted to Reddit by user uh, under the ID Nambo42. Hmm. Nambo or Mambo? Nambo, N-A-M-B-O, 42. Okay. And it was posted about six years ago. She said that her family woke up Christmas morning and got a call from her sister-in-law who was celebrating with other relatives and family at their home about a you know, short distance away. They kind of live in the same town. Okay. Uh, she was inquiring how their Christmas was going and was wanting to make plans for later during the holidays. She also mentioned a dog bowl was left at their house uh, the last time they were over visiting. Her husband was on the phone with her and told, you know, his wife that his sister's niece had a male friend named Stacy who would swing by their house shortly to pick up the dog dish. Okay. It was convenient for him because their house was along the way as he was going to visit his niece, who was also there at his sister's home. Mm -hmm. But just as they were discussing all this on the phone, the doorbell rings and her husband says, hold on, sis. I think he's here now. And he hangs up with her. They invited him in, and after he introduced himself as Stacy, they chatted briefly while her husband went to retrieve the dog bowl. She said, you know, the usual questions were asked, and, and they were answered, like the weather, how was your drive over, how was the traffic. Um, they talked about the holidays, and then they thanked him for stopping by and gave him the dog bowl and said, Merry Christmas, mm -hmm. and he left. Her husband then called back his sister to finish their conversation and explained to her that Stacy just left with the dog bowl. His sister was very confused and said, I don't understand. Who is Stacy? <laughs> and went on to say that his niece never mentioned a friend by that name. And she acted like they never had that discussion on the phone regarding the dog bowl. His sister just figured it wasn't a big deal. It's just a dog bowl. They planned to just pick it up the next time they were at their house. And since they were making plans, why would she send anyone over? Huh. Like she just 
thought he was crazy. Wow. Um, so what is the coincidence that some guy named Stacy just happens to show up and leaves with the dog bowl acting like everything was normal? Yeah. Was it a glitch in the Matrix? Probably. That's my vote. Maybe Stacy was an alien collecting dog saliva or DNA <laughs> to study later in the spaceship. Right. And just neutralize that yeah. lady's brain when he left. So yeah, just she wouldn't remember. forgot her memory. Yeah. You will not remember any of this. That's crazy. Weirdness. So, yeah, they later discussed all the possibilities. And he even asked the niece if she had a friend named Stacy because he thought his sister was just joking around with him. Right. Um, but she didn't. She didn't have any friend named Stacy. That's weird. And the dog bowl was indeed gone? Yeah. Yeah, he gave the dog bowl. And there were witnesses. There were several people in the house that sat down and talked with the guy. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. And and what's what's also strange is like it's not a common name. So even if some right, for a stranger, guy it's not, yeah. So some guy just yeah. showed up at your front door. Yeah. I mean, that could happen, yes, but having the same name Yeah, it's weird. Is just mental. Yeah, it's so weird. So her husband now just thinks maybe it's their morning mimosas uh, <laughs> that made for like a lot of confusion on the phone. But the wife just insists there's there's more than one person that heard all this and sure. interacted with Stacy. Maybe it was a the timeline changed or something. Yeah. 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 A glitch. Yeah. Something. Huh. So my last Christmas mystery is a story that was reported back in 1885. So we're going way, way back. Yeah. Regarding a farmhand who was spending Christmas with his employers, Patrick and Matilda Rooney. Okay. So they had a property in Seneca, Illinois, and they were an aging couple who frequently invited their farmhand, I think his name was John Larson, over for family get-togethers. Okay. It was Christmas Eve, and after sharing several drinks, they all retired for the night with the Rooneys staying downstairs to sleep in their room, and Larson going upstairs to a guest room on the second floor. Larson reported waking up to a coughing fit during the night. Okay. But eventually he was able to fall back to sleep. Mm. The next morning, Larson woke up, though, to find ash on his pillow. Uh-oh. And not a coal, not a lump of coal on your pillow. Just ash. <laughs> Just ash. And he was surprised to hear that there were no sounds of cooking breakfast on Christmas morning. So mm. he went down to investigate. Apparently, that's a thing. You wake up and people are cooking breakfast yeah. for you. Yeah. 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 I don't know what household that <laughs> is. <laughs> it's not my household. Not my household. <laughs> Larson peeked behind the Rooney's bedroom door and was shocked to find that Mr. Rooney had died in his sleep. And oh. Mrs. Rooney was nowhere to be found. What? Yes. That's crazy. Patrick went searching for her, calling out as he went into the kitchen and said, where's my breakfast? <laughs> he actually didn't say that. Yeah. Patrick went searching for her, calling out as he went into the kitchen and was surprised to find charred remains of a human foot resting beside a big hole in the kitchen floor. Oh, weird. Down inside the hole was a pile of ashes. Oh. This was all that was left of Mrs. Rooney. Wow. And at first, investigators thought the farmhand might have murdered the couple. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He, he should not call the police because they're going to yeah. look right at him and go, really? Yeah. But the thing is, they could not explain how a house fire could not have spread to the rest of the house and why Mrs. Rooney could not have just like rolled away or stepped aside for the kitchen fire, right? Because the only thing that appeared burnt and remained was the foot. Well, how and, did the guy die? The and husband. the round hole in the floor. Um, so what they what they gathered is that the carbon monoxide from the burning of of Mrs. Oh. Rooney went through the house. Oh. It didn't damage anything, but the air, since it was locked, it you know all the windows shut, everything so was locked up. So he breathed that in and died. He was on the bottom floor by the yeah. kitchen, so yeah. he died, and yeah. that also explains why the farmhand on the second floor lived sure. because he was away from it enough. Yeah. And he did wake up in the middle of the night coughing. Oh. So he he was, had he not woken up and, yeah. you know, had more time, yeah. he might have died also. Yeah. Huh. So really very scary. Right. And yeah, everything else in the kitchen remained undamaged. So there was only the round hole in the floor. Yeah. And it was very co contained to that one little area. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So yeah, human spontaneous combustion. Yeah, that's crazy. Those Christmas stories are always nuts. It is so crazy. And so... There is a pattern that they're finding that 
seems to suggest that alcohol consumption might not be compatible with certain blood types. Oh, that's what causes it? Mm-hmm. Really? But I, I like the local legends, though, um, of Krampus coming to collect his prize that night. Mrs. Rooney, you see, had gotten off far too easy as a kid. <laughs> and some say it was her divine that's retribution. A dark twist. Yeah, thank you. So cheers to us cheers and to our us. non-alcohol today. Ooh. We are drinking some sparkling apple cider. Yes. Because, you know, we don't want to take any chances with divine retribution with the way you know, 2022 is gone for us. We were drinking San Perillo white grape juice cocktail. Yes. Just say no to alcohol That's this right. season. That's right. Don't spontaneously don't, combust. And don't <laughs> blow up on us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Those guys. great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Have, Have a, a good, good Christmas. Christmas. Bye. The second location was the Madison Dry Goods Country. Use the spirit crank to tell us what you think. I just am terrible at like hearing what they're hearing. So like if they're like, the ghost just said this. I'm always like, no, they didn't. They said, you're ugly. Get out of here. I am concerned about your allergies. Though. I know. Um, I want. I wonder if like my new uh, sweater, like. Oh, I don't. It has a chemical on it or something that, like, maybe you need to wash it before you wear it. Maybe I will. (laughs) (laughs) Scratch all that, Josh. We we don't need to talk about chemical me poisoning Holly with a Uh, chemical Christmas sweater. I can't breathe very well. I'm starting to get the shakes. (laughs) Blip 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 blip. It was alongside what. So what the fuck did I mean by this <laughs> whole thing? I think you're getting at spontaneous human combustion, right? Stop. You ruined it. Yes, that is what I'm trying to find. Well, time. he's not going to put that in the thing. Reindeer diapers. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode